صباح الخير جود مورنينج دي ليسنرز يو ليسنينج تو راديو 3 سي ار اون 855 اي ام اند باليستاين ريمبرد وذ روبرت مارتن ناصر مشني اند يوسف احمد الريماوي Palestine Remembered is Australia's only English language radio program that is totally dedicated to Palestine. We'd like to welcome those listening on 855 and those that will join us on podcast at 3cr.org.au. Thanks for joining us. Stay with us and enjoy the episode. Bringing you the news and views and the untold side of the Palestinian struggle for freedom from a Palestinian perspective. Good morning, Rob. How are you? Mate, I'm really well, Nasser. I'm on school holidays having a ball with my kids, so I'm fantastic. How are you? Rocking and rolling, mate. Rocking and rolling. Rob, this morning we're joined by Professor Jake Lynch, who is a fantastic friend of Palestine and a fantastic friend of both you and I. He's a journalist, an academic, a writer, and patron of BDS Australia. Welcome. Good morning, Jake. Morning, both. How's it going? Very well. Jake, a lot of our listeners will remember you from your case, your time as an academic when you refused to, uh, well, why don't you tell us a story? Well, yes, it really begins with um, Operation Cast Lead, um, which people will recall uh, fell in the period between Christmas and New Year of 2008-9. And of course, it was a massive shock, massive act of brutality, a kind of cynical disregard of international law and humanitarian law, and I think spurred a lot of us into renewed action Uh, to extend our solidarity to the struggle of the people of Palestine. And um, in the university, um, we convened a a quite well-attended public meeting some months afterwards to figure out what we could do. And we were apprised of the fact that Sydney Uni has these institutional links with Israeli higher education. So there are these bilateral funded fellowship schemes with the Technion University, Haifa, and the Hebrew University of Jerusalem. And so we, as a result of that meeting, we got signatories, we called on the Sydney Uni Vice-Chancellor to revoke those um, arrangements. Of course, he refused to do so. But then a little while later, um, I myself was approached by somebody from the Hebrew University, this guy, Professor Dan Avnon, um, asking me to sign his application for one of these fellowships, because you have to name a few researchers at at the destination end that you're going to work with. So I wrote back um, saying, uh, nothing against you, old chap, Dan, but uh, I won't do that because my policy is to support the Palestinian call for the academic boycott of Israel. So that was pretty much that uh, for a while. And then the whole issue, well, the only way to put it is it it erupted onto the front page of Murdoch's Australian newspaper and fitted in well with their obsessions at the time. And they kept on, you know, for several successive days. At one point, um, a spokesperson for Sydney Uni told them that uh, Professor Lynch has been told before that his views are inappropriate. So, of course, that was a massive red flag. We shout out to my union, the NTEU, who came you know, straight to my side demanding a retraction, because, of course, that's a straight-out violation of my intellectual freedom provided for in the Enterprise Agreement and so on. So that then also came and went. And then a little while later, um, I received a letter from this guy, Andrew Hamilton, uh, asking me to, to you know, revoke all my uh, previous commitments and apologize uh, to Dan Avnon and um, abandon my support for BDS, or I would face a referral to Australia's Human Rights Commission uh, because I was in breach of the Race Relations Act and the Human Rights Act. 
Um, so I said, well, no, I absolutely will not um, back down uh, in any way, shape or form. So with that, we were set on a collision course at Australia's federal court. And it was a strange case, really. Um, I mean, it, throughout, I was at pains to emphasise that, again, I had nothing against this guy, Dan Afnan. I think at one point I, I used to go around saying to people, man could be a Buddhist from Bendigo, as far as I'm concerned. It, you know, it's the institutional links with the Israeli university that I object to. And he um, assembled a motley cast list of, of fellow complainants. So, for example, they included one person from Israel who reckoned to be a fan of Elvis Costello. And some years earlier, Elvis Costello had said, I won't tour Israel because, um, you know, shall I do the accent? It will be a political act, as he, as he put it. Um, and I was somehow to blame for this. So <laughs> visions of me on the hotline to um, Elvis Costello's studio, sort of convincing him not to tour Israel. Uh, but uh, as, as part of the, the BDS movement, they said I was instrumentally responsible for the dis disappointment um, of this person that they couldn't see Elvis Costello live. So, yeah, I mean, really speaking, I suppose the, um, the overall theme of it was that um, it's an object lesson, I think, in how these allegations get thrown around. You know, I was said to be being anti-Semitic, okay? Lots of people are called anti-Semitic. Um, the allegation is very seldom actually put to the test because it's not really designed to withstand the requirement to show evidence and sustain logical argument. It really is only designed to intimidate. And that proved the case with this, with this court case because, uh, you know, one by one, the defendants fell away as um, it occurred to them that um, there really was no substance to the case at all. Um, we made uh, Shurat Hadin, or we, we got the judge to make Shurat Hadin, um, the, the Israeli NGO behind the whole thing, uh, pay a, a sum of $100,000 into the court uh, towards our costs, and basically, you know, came away winning every argument. Yeah, we are. That, that, that's, that's where it rested. I think, I think we should just point out to our, our listeners that Professor Jake Lynch, PhD, was actually in the um, Peace and Conflict Studies. So you're pretty familiar with all of the, you know, the peace and conflict and all those sorts of things. Was it a surprise that it, you got hit hard by the Zionist? Well, I sort of, I sort of dragged the words peace and conflict around with me, kind of, you know, some, sometimes like a sort of lead weight around my ankle because, um, <laughs> as you'll know, I mean, peace in particular has been given a, a thoroughly bad name by being attached to the American-sponsored peace process um, sure. for, the, for the Middle East, as it were, you know. Um, indeed, actually, my, my real specialism is in peace journalism, um, coming from my background as a journalist. Yeah. A good, good friend of mine, Vanessa Bassel, um, started the, the Media Association for Peace in Lebanon to promote peace journalism. And she was relieved uh, when it turned out that I was in favour of the academic boycott of Israel, because she was beginning to get a hard time from people saying this peace journalism this sounds like normalisation of, of relations with Israel. And what about this Jake Lynch? You know, he's a peace professor. So when she could say to them, well, actually, yeah, Jake Lynch is also a supporter of the academic boycott of Israel, that kind of ticked the box and, and solved the problem for her. Now, Jake, as you said, it's a pernicious and it's a dirty, dirty slur to call somebody an anti-Semite. And overwhelmingly, when it gets thrown around to Palestinians and advocates for, for justice for the Palestinians, it invariably falls nowhere, as evidenced by your success. How do you think you would have gone if your university had adopted the IHRA, not just the definition, but all of the working examples, how that might have been, how would that fit in with an enterprise agreement moving forward? That's a very good question. Um, I mean, let's say, first of all, you know, let's deal with the, 
the most egregious of these examples. I mean, it's reckoned to be anti-Semitic to call Israel as a racist endeavor. What? You know, the, <laughs> our Nakba was not incidental, mate, but foundational to the state of Israel, clearing out people from their homes and, and communities because they were of the wrong race. They're earmarked for people of a different race. If that's not a racist endeavor, what is? You know, so it's it's completely absurd. Now, I mean, the the uni the uni um, took pains to distance itself from my case, as you might expect. In fact, actually, um, uh, at one point, the judge suggested um, we'd better have the dean of arts and social sciences, who is Jake's boss, in this court uh, answering these charges. And you know, knowing the person concerned, I could imagine him turning pale beneath his suntan at the prospect. Uh, but um, yeah, I mean. If, if unis um, adopt this IRA definition, clearly it would be, you know, an infringement of our intellectual freedom. Um, let's put it like this. There'd be a, a very long queue of us um, wanting to put that to the test by deliberately infringing. When I go around infringing the, the IRA definition, you know, when I get a chance, I, I make a speech and I say to people, I'll give you a warning. I'm about to infringe the IRA definition of anti-Semitism. And then I, I go ahead and do it. Um so, yeah, uh, I, I suppose I'm kind of trying to, to put that to the test. And, and if it was brought in as a viper to the bosom of, um, of Australian universities, then, uh, yeah, we would have to kick back very hard against it. Well, because one of the challenges, as we've seen with the University of Melbourne and Sydney University, is the SRCs, the Student Representative Councils, have passed resolutions in favour of the Palestinians ad supporting BDS, the right of Palestinians to organise and call for boycott, divestment and sanctions. And the, the pushback from Vice-Chancellor down has been enormous. Yeah, look, I mean, speaking frankly, um, you know, Sydney Uni in particular, I'll talk about Sydney Uni because I know it, its reputation locally is as the finishing school for the gilded youth of the, the eastern suburbs and north shore of, of the prosperous bits of Sydney. And of course, you know, things being what they are, that's home to a great many wealthy people, some of whom are Jewish people. And, um, you know, unis have been, um, I think the, the peak um, in, in percentage terms of uh, public funding of universities in this country was sometime in about the middle 1970s. So public funding has been falling away as a proportion of uni funding ever since. So they've become more uh, reliant on donor funds. And the vice chancellor, whom I mentioned a few minutes ago, Michael Spence, um, who was in place at the time of our meeting after Cast led, um, he, uh, his, his claim to fame really was that he managed to lever in you know, enormous sums of, of, of donor funds, some of which were from wealthy members of the Jewish community. In fact, actually, at one point, um, people who were working in the so-called advancement office of the uni um, who would be dealing with inquiries from people wanting to make donations, they were equipped with a little card which had kind of set phrases that they were supposed to say to people about Jake Lynch. So if people rang up and said, I, I want to donate money to Sydney Uni, but I'm worried about, you know, anti-Semitic Jake Lynch, the person would have a little card saying, oh, well, you know, well, pfft, Mr. Professor Lynch is only one of many academics at the university and his views don't represent the university's views and so on and so forth. So, um, you know, there's a, there's a very um, distinct um, uh, kind of collective um, uh, gathering in a sphincters in uh, the corridors of, of university management's uh, the notion of, of alienating what they identify as, as potential wealthy donors. And, you know, I mean, they're a bit of a motley crew. I mean, it's not a, a member of the Jewish community at all, but one of them at Sydney Uni, Michael Hintzey, 
Um, he's just being um, uh, upgraded from Sir Michael Hintzy to Lord Michael Hintzy in the Queen's Honours list uh, back in the UK. Uh, and um, he's a major donor to Sydney Uni, and uh, he's been unmasked in the past as being behind these kind of secretive, um, undeclared lobby groups trying to exert influence um, on, on the right of British politics behind the scenes. So these donors are not necessarily, um, you know, shall altruistic we say, and clean, clean skinned or, or altruistic in every way. Like the Ramsey Centre. Uh, well, quite, yes, the Ramsey Centre for Western Civilization. What was it Gandhi said about Western Civilization? That would be nice. <laughs> it counts uh, Tony Abbott amongst its patrons, doesn't it? Well, look, I mean, Western Civilization, let's just make this brief, it's become synonymous with, um, uh, you know, the kind of liberal democracy that we have, you know, in, in the West, um, which is great for us because it's built on the wealth generated in the Industrial Revolution, uh, that was in turn enabled by the scientific revolution and prominent figures in the scientific revolution include people like Galileo. Galileo, who was uh, banged up under house arrest by Renaissance thugs in Italy for daring to defend the heliocentric theory of, of the spheres. That is, we revolve around the sun, not the other way about. So the people banging him up are the lineal political ancestors of the likes of Tony Abbott. <laughs> who, who Tony Abbott is coming and posing as the front man for Western civilization? Yeah. He, he's he's uh, he's, he's the kind of person who's always opposed it. Yeah, he's got a direct lineage back to flat earthers. Absolutely. Now, Jake, we actually have got a copy of Professor Mark Scott's letter from um, University of Sydney. He sent it out to Zionist leaders and groups around Australia. And I just might read a, just a couple of the paragraphs. Now, this letter was not called for, not asked for. Uh, it just went out to Zionist Leadership Group. And it says, I'm sure that you've heard that the University of Sydney Student Representative Council recently passed a motion that has caused concern amongst some of the community. I wanted to write to you to assure you that the SRC's motion does not represent the position of the University of Sydney. The University of Sydney deeply values our Jewish community members and the close ties we share with the broader Jewish community. As an institution, we do not consider the boycott, divestment and sanctions policy appropriate. It's not a university-endorsed policy, and we remain open to and encourage links with all countries all over the world. I mean, this sort of heavy-handed stepping over the top of student unions, students with a democratic student body that chose to, with the basis of all the information before them, to pass a resolution. This is the sort of thing that's killing universities today. Look, I mean... Yeah, you're quite right. It, it's just one among so many facets of, um, of where universities are being rapidly corporatized. Yes, I mean, look, I mean, Mark Scott was brought in from the ABC, uh, presumably for his expertise at running large public institutions and, and not annoying the right wing too much. Um, and that seems to be one of these. But look, I mean, when we apply now for research funding, for example, from the Australian Research Council, um, we have to make a statement of national interest, how the research will advance national interest, not public interest. That's a different thing. And we have to show how um, the research will assist in the prosperity of any one of six preconceived industrial sectors, uh, one of which is the defence industry, following the decision under the um, Turnbull government to adopt the defence industry as a big source of export earnings for Australia. So um, university researchers really are being corralled into the production of widgets uh, 
when their role really should be to enable and spread critical thinking. Now, that's not surprising under the coalition. We, we expect no better from them. If Labour really took enough of a step back from this, surely they would realise we're having a progressive moment in Australia. One of the wellsprings of that progressive moment is the large numbers of people who have learned critical thinking by their passage through Australian universities. So if we lose that remit, where will the Labour majorities of 2040, 2050 and 2060 come from? So if I, if I was them, that's how I'd be thinking. Moving on from, from there, Jake, we've had an election, had a change of government. Australia in the past hasn't been very good about Palestine. You know, There's a little bit of talk, but not a lot of action. Where do you see things changing from, from here? Do you see anything changing? Well, one of the most promising signs, of course, was when um, Labour's conference last year um, decided to recognise a Palestinian state as, and I quote, an important priority. Now, in, it falls in the foreign affairs remit, of course, and, and since they've got in, uh, Penny Wong has had to be uh, racking up the air miles, going around attending to the crisis in the Pacific. They also need to recognise that there is a crisis in Palestine, you know, because all the indicators are going the wrong way. So I'm, I'm sure your listeners will be impatient. I'm certainly impatient to know when the priority becomes important enough to get to the top of Penny Wong's desk. OK, so um, that will be significant in a number of ways. Uh, and one of them might pertain to the now stalled investigation by the International Criminal Court into violations of the Geneva Conventions. Um, because under the uh, previous government, when that came up, I think about back end of last year, uh, Maurice Payne said, um, we don't agree with the ICC's remit here because we don't recognise the state of Palestine. So in other words, the refusal to recognise Palestine was a kind of political hidey hole for the coalition. So they could say, you know, we don't even have to assess the ICC investigation on its merits we don't even meet that threshold because we don't think it's got a mandate because we don't recognise Palestine. So if Labour do recognise Palestine, then that particular hidey hole will be closed off. One has to hope that at some point the ICC will be able to lift its eyes from what's happening in Ukraine and get back to the Palestinians. And when it does, surely the main or one of the main um, items on that agenda will be the line in the fourth Geneva Convention, which says an occupying power must not move any part of its population onto the territory it occupies. So all those Jewish-only colonies, or settlements as they're called, should be seen as illegal and a war crime. And that's the, uh, the, the, the seismic implication of that situation. I'm sure that's one of the reasons why it's been stalled, uh, but one has to hope that sometime over the next three years, enough pressure will build to get it back on track again. And when that happens, if Labour by then has recognised Palestine, then it will have to at least engage um, with the substance and the subject of that ICC investigation. So that might be one of the, the direct implications of it. As you said, Jake, the resolution that's now been passed twice in two national conferences calls on the next Labour government to recognise the state of Palestine and expects that this issue will be an important priority. Uh, close quotes. We get to that point, they do recognise the state of Palestine and suddenly that has to trigger and necessarily changes the language with respect to the ICC and necessarily with respect to settlements and how they're seen. 
beyond that, how do you, how would you imagine in a best case, Jake Lynch is uh, head of DFAT, what's that policy look like? Well, I think it, it means that Australia would join, um, what is it now, um, approximately two-thirds of the international community. 139 countries now. There we are, even more then. I'm, I'm out of date. Um, you know, the, the overwhelming majority of the international community in recognising the state of Palestine. And um, if um, the implications are followed through in terms of the ICC investigation, then these really all need to be seen as interim steps towards ending the division of Palestine. Or one might say obviating the division of Palestine, because the purpose of dividing Palestine is to attempt to throw a rope around it or throw a rope around some of it. And within that rope, there will be a permanent guaranteed Jewish majority and descendancy. So obviating it would mean supporting what is also the settled will of the international community, the right of return for Palestinians, um, which, which you know, is, is fundamental to peace with justice. There will not be peace without justice, and that is a fundamental precept of justice. Um, and it's got to be, um, to me, uh, you know, in the context of a regime which is capable of underpinning a high level of guaranteed rights for all citizens, regardless of their race, religion, heritage, or background. You know, if you look wider, really that the whole region um, has had a very difficult time in our modern distinctive system of competitive nation states. And it was, it was when um, states were being formed, the states we recognize around the world today, were being formed, like Italy was formed in its present um, condition, Germany. It's at that time in the late 19th century that Zionism begins to be iterated, not as a spiritual destiny, but as literally meaning a patch of ground on the surface of the earth. So that's just one of the many problems bequeathed to the people of the wider, um, what, what we might call Southwest Asian region or Middle East region by this system of competitive nation states. And one of their distinctive um, characteristics is the hardened border, you know, the guards, the passports, et cetera. Uh, and really the, the long-term vision for, for my money is that the, the model to emulate is the one part of the Earth's surface where those borders have least salience, and that is the 27-country Schengen zone. So you can travel between you know, France, the Netherlands, Belgium, Luxembourg, without stopping and without showing your passport. And it's quite striking to me how often um, I've listened to Palestinians uh, visioning, visioning about the future. And they talk about being able to travel from, you know, to have breakfast on the shores of Lake Tiberias and then you know, get to Aleppo in time for an Aleppo grill for dinner and that kind of thing. Um, and, and really that vision depends on um, weakening the salience of borders not only the borders enforced by Israel's illegal occupation at the moment, but borders more broadly across the region. And the Schengen system is only possible because they all share a commitment to the same high level of guaranteed individual rights. And that's got to be the bedrock, I think, of a, of a, you know, a brighter future for all the people of the region. Just quickly before we, we finish up, BDS is being successful. I would imagine that you would agree with that. Why should we be boycott Israel? Why should we do it? Well, um, I think it's because really the onus passes to us 
as we know, governments are so reluctant to act. You know, one of the, um, we were talking about the IRA definition of anti-Semitism earlier, one of its examples is reckoned to be holding Israel to a higher standard than other countries. Well, all, all the standards we're talking about are to do with international law and international, international law. law. So by definition, they should be upheld by responsible governments. Unfortunately, governments shy away from their responsibilities, so the onus passes to the rest of us in civil society. Um, and what we're really aiming to do, I think, with BDS is to wage a struggle over legitimacy. And we have to drain that occupation of its legitimacy. Um, and, and that's where BDS, I think, has a role to play. Um, you know, I listened to um, a speech a few years ago in Oxford. There was, there was a week of solidarity with the Palestinians in Oxford a few years ago. Uh, and one of the speakers was uh, Mustafa Barghouti of the Red Crescent Society. Um, and um, he uh, gave the opinion that the only reason the Palestinians have not, um, Palestinian leadership has not uh, publicly disavowed the so-called two-state solution, as envisaged in innumerable kind of Oslo Accords and peace plans, etc., is because they would immediately then um, lose legitimacy because they would be portrayed as enemies of peace. Uh, but actually, really, everybody knows it would be impossible to implement because of the facts on the ground. Really, you're talking about one regime with guaranteed equal rights for all citizens. Um, and, and that puts it in the same basket as um, the South Africans. When South Africans were struggling against apartheid, their demand was one person, one vote, equality before the law. Uh, and that they are demands which can mobilise a campaign around the issue of legitimacy. And that's where BDS has a role to play. Yeah, brilliantly said, Jake. With respect to our occupiers, our oppressors, the Israelis, the thought of equality being anathema to, and not a solution to peace, speaks to the racism, the foundational racism of Zionism. There was no other outcome for settler colonialism privileging up person over another person purely based on colour, creed, etc. Yeah, uh, and hence the um, striking contiguity that people have often remarked on between uh, the um, Zionist nostrum of a, of a land without people for a people without a land and the British construction of terra nullius for Australia, um, under which Australia's First Nations were classified as part of the, the fauna and flora um, of our own land. Um, and yes, I mean, Zionism uh, has, has been in its, in its kind of territorial iteration, has been a distinctively colonial projection. Uh, I just read a, a perceptive thesis, actually, from um, a Palestinian writer from Western Sydney University, um, which, which draws attention to how the Israelis invariably portray uh, such episodes as their attacks on Gaza as exceptional. So they're always portrayed as exceptional circumstances, which justify an exceptional departure from the high civilized standards of the colonial power. Uh, and therefore that's why, you know, the most, we must have an episode of, of unrestrained brutality before we can go back to our normal civilized behavior. So that's the kind of rhetorical um, cloaking that always takes place around those episodes. Uh, any final thoughts or words you'd like to share with us, Jake? Yeah, let's all hope Labour does the right thing. What if they don't? You know, um, I mean, the next major electoral test will be the state elections in Victoria and New South Wales. The New South Wales one is 
in March next year. Of course, you know, it's a different matter. It's a diff different kind of um, set of issues at state level. But a lot of these, these issues do accrue at state level. You know, it's in state parliaments that the IRA definition has been discussed, for example. Now, there are um, one or two um, electorates in Sydney's West where um, the Labour vote is, um, as they say, not so much counted as weighed, um, because colossal Labour majorities. And um, a, a among their most loyal voters are many people of Palestinian heritage, and also heritage of the broader Arab world. And they are, and Muslim communities, and they are understandably concerned when they see increasing incursions into the precincts of the Haram al-Sharif in uh, Jerusalem, uh, cutting off um, access for prayer at um, the Al-Aqsa Mosque, issues such as this. Um, one of these electorates is Bankstown. So I attended a rally um, at Bankstown uh, to protest about the restrictions on movements at um, Al-Aqsa Mosque. This was back in April. It so happens that Bankstown in the state parliament is represented by one of these Labour uh, members who, who never utters a peep about Palestine. Tanya Mihailov, she's called. Now, I've got a gleam in my eye that if, we, if time grinds on and we still hear nothing from federal Labour about recognising a Palestinian state, I might put myself up as a Justice for Palestine candidate. Magnificent. You, you've got, remember, you've got only optional preferential voting at state level, so that could actually do some damage. Something's got to tilt the calculus here. You know, Labour have got to realise you can't just keep stum on this and, and opt for a quiet life. You know, you're going to pay a price at the ballot box. Beautiful. Brilliant. What a great way for us to finish. Professor Jake Lynch, journalist, activist, writer, academic, general all-round superstar. Fantastic to have you on. Thanks so much, Jake. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Jake. Thanks for listening. Be sure to share the podcast, tell your friends, and remember, there's never been a better time for a free Palestine.